0: Good Heavens is a podcast that takes a deep look into the cosmos, revealing God's wondrous power and design. It followed from the special theory of relativity that mass and energy are both, are
1: both different manifestations of the same thing, a somewhat
2: unfamiliar conception for the average mind. The voice of one of the most brilliant minds of our time, Albert Einstein, explaining E equals mc squared, his enigmatically wondrous and counterintuitive discovery that matter and energy are equal. But what exactly are matter and energy? What are these enigmatic manifestations? From where did they come? Why are they here? Why are they the way they are? What are they for? Science, oddly enough, really doesn't have any answers to these kinds of questions. I mean, like, really satisfying explanations, the stuff we really want to know. Some scientists say we shouldn't even ask these sorts of why questions. Matter and energy are just matter and energy. That's it. Is that really it? Is that all there is? Just E equals MC squared and nothing else? Einstein marveled, quote... Everyone who is seriously involved in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that some spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, a spirit vastly superior to that of man, and one in the face of which we with our modest powers must feel humble, end quote. So imagine now you are sitting by a campfire under the darkest of night skies, out in the deepest beauty of nature. As you notice the sparks from the warm fire shoot upward, the clear sparkling diadems of the Big Dipper arrest your attention. You take a moment to ponder the glorious arrangement, there sitting silently as it has for millennia, beauteously poised on the black velvet of space and time. The seven stars which comprise the ancient and familiar cup shape are part of the larger constellation of Ursa Major, the Great Bear. You're filled with awe and wonder and momentarily are startled by the possibility that there might be some real bears lurking nearby in the quietness of the woods. But never mind bears for just a moment. Far beyond the dipper stars which the naked eye can behold, somewhere veiled in the blackness of the Great Bear... There shines down upon you at that moment an enormous grin, something right out of the whimsical imagination of Lewis Carroll, perhaps, comprised of wavelengths of both visible and invisible light. But but wait, how can light be invisible? And how can light be both a particle and a wave? How can any of this be? Things just keep getting curiouser and curiouser. To be sure, this cosmic grin is real. Well, real in the sense that it is not an artist's rendition, but an actual image taken by both the Hubble Space Telescope and the Chandra X-ray Telescope. And it is kind of a wonder to behold. Not the product of our imagination, mind you. So curious, in fact, that in 2015, on the 100th anniversary of Einstein's now famous publication of E equals MC squared, this whimsically wonderful arrangement of galaxies served as the centennial's celebratory image. Einstein had no idea that it existed, but he did believe that such a structure would be possible, given his theory that the invisible fabric of space and time is warped by massive objects. And we here at Good Heavens think this unusual arrangement taken by the Hubble and Chandra telescopes would have made Einstein smile, too. For in 1931, Einstein was formally introduced to the only Hollywood star he wanted to meet in person. The silent comedian actor Charlie Chaplin, a brilliant scientist and a world famous slapstick comedian, together at the same table. The heavens must indeed have been smiling. Just what sort of universe is this where the vagabond meets the genius, where matter and energy are two sides of some mysterious cosmic coin, where even light itself is wholly different than how it appears to the naked eye? Einstein's theory is an equation that forever changed our perception of the cosmos. Three simple letters, E, M, and C. Einstein meets Chaplin enigmatic mysteries of creation. What does it all mean? There is poetry, mystery, intrigue, wonder, awe, and layer upon layer of meaning in our wondrous world, pointing us to something, rather someone, far greater than ourselves and the universe we inhabit. And the more we investigate it, the more the cosmos appears curiouser and curiouser. "'Tell me,' said Alice, a little timidly, "'for she was not quite sure "'whether it was good manners for her to speak first. "'Why your cat grins like that?' "'It's a Cheshire cat,' said the Duchess, "'and that's why.' "'I didn't know Cheshire cats always grin. "'In fact, I don't know that cats could grin.' "'They all can,' said the Duchess, "'and most of them do. "'I don't know of any that do.' "'Alice said very politely, feeling quite pleased to have got into a conversation. "'You don't know much,' said the Duchess, "'and that's a fact.'" It is. Do we really know the ordinances of the heavens? Can we lead forth a constellation in its season? Can we untie the cords of Orion or tie up the chains of the Pleiades? Can we guide the great bear with her cubs? We don't know much, and that's a fact. And even what we do know seems to point us far beyond knowledge itself. Later in the story, Alice finds herself at the table of the Mad Hatter, frustrated by his riddle-making. "'I think you might do something better with time,' she said, "'than wasting it in asking riddles that have no answers.' "'If you knew time as well as I do,' said the Hatter, "'you wouldn't talk about wasting it. It's a hymn.' "'I don't know what you mean,' said Alice. "'Of course you don't,' the Hatter said.' tossing his head contemptuously. I dare say you never even spoke to time. is the genius clothed in our vagabond frame, fully divine and fully human, a light shining in the darkness, a light that the darkness neither overcame nor understood. The heavens are his work of art, declaring his glory. Well, good heavens wane? Did you know there's an emoji in the cosmos? (laughs) Yes.
1: Uh, God put an emoji there a long time ago for us to discover.
2: How about that? Well, I've often seen a cat without a grin, thought Alice. But a grin without a cat. It's the most curious thing I ever saw in all my life. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes, those words were written by Charles Dodgson and first published in November on the 2nd of 1865. Uh. And then what, Wayne, we're going to talk about tonight, was discovered 125 years later, in November of 1990, by some Uh. Japanese astronomers, Akiri... Akira Natori and Takeshi Urata and my goodness now it wasn't apparent to them right away um, because the image we're going to be talking about today was, was discovered sort of in layers or put together in layers but the original first sight of this cosmic emoji was uh in 1990 by two japanese astronomers. Wayne, what in the world are oh, we talking really? about? Really? 1990? I didn't know it was then. 1990. The the Chandra X-ray, everybody's like, "What are they talking about? We're going to Alice in Wonderland and what? Um what does we'll,
1: Alice in Wonderland have to do with something in space, Dan?
2: It's curiouser and curiouser, Wayne. I mm-hmm. don't I um we're going to go down the down the rabbit hole and uh, have tea with the mad hatter. And um, (laughs) talk about some math. And we're going to talk about the original OG cosmic space emoji. (laughs) (laughs) People are like, please tell us what you're talking about. What are you guys talking about? Yeah, and I I call it the grin in space. The grin in space. It is uh, a featured image in our uh, book, The Story of the Cosmos. And uh, it's called the Cheshire Cat Galaxy. And if you go online, if you pause this right now, go online, Google Cheshire Cat Galaxy.
1: Well, it's actually uh,
2: Galaxy Group. Cheshire Cat Galaxy Group. Galaxy Group, because it's not one galaxy, because that would be really cool if that was a galaxy. Yeah. But, yeah, stop the stop the recording. Stop the recording. Stop that. press pause. Go Google, or you could probably do it at the same time now with all of our devices. Uh go Google the Cheshire Cat Galaxy Group and uh and be prepared to see a grin without a cat. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne, uh the cosmos is a wonderful place and uh and uh we're so glad to be in it and to be talking about these strange things. So why don't you uh tell our listeners, why don't you give us a, a little Uh, Do we have some appropriate Bible verse for this, Wayne? I think we always try to do this.
1: Well, yeah, I was thinking of uh, Psalm 8, but I think uh, it would be better to bring that up kind of at the end, Dan, after we've discussed this more.
2: Okay, well, I do have one. But if you have one, go right ahead. I do have one because if if you're tuning into Good Heavens for the first time or you don't know much about space— uh, we have to let's back up and say, well, what is a galaxy? A galaxy is a collection of a lot of stars, like island star islands in the universe, swirly, beautiful, swirly pinwirly things, not all swirlies, some are like orbs, and uh, some are um, other different shapes. but uh, they are islands of galaxies. Our galaxies are islands. Uh, of stars swirled together, so keep that in mind, Yeah, know like hundreds
1: of billions of stars
2: hundreds of billions of stars, and you you may have heard the idea that uh, somebody named Carl Sagan once said billions and billions. Actually, Carl never said that. I was in New Orleans, and I gave a talk on the cosmos uh, to a group of high school students uh, and their parents and um there's about forty or fifty people now, the parents heard of Carl Sagan now this really made me feel my age, Wayne, because of the thirty or so youngins in attendance, none of them had ever heard of Carl Sagan. I was like, like, "Okay, I'm officially old now." <laughs> I just spoke to a, huh. I just spoke across a generation gap, and uh, maybe it's a. I was just, it was a, it was a moment. I was like, "Wow, okay, I have to explain who Carl Sagan is." Um, and so, uh, anyway, how did I go from galaxies to Carl Sagan? Oh, billion! You said billions, and then I said billions and billions. And then uh, I would just want to make sure Carl Sagan, he, he was actually on Johnny Carson or somewhere. He said he's never said that. Anyway, um, billions and billions of stars, uh, however you want to say it. And yeah. so God, God created all these stars. And the cosmos, it's the Greek word K. It means arrangement. That's what cosmos means. It's the same word we get, uh, cosmetics. And uh, it means an arrangement. And so in uh, Isaiah forty twenty six it says, lift up your eyes on high and see. See, this is a seeing thing, who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name. So the stars we're going to talk about today, they have names, Wayne, known only to God. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice do me escapes the notice of my God? So Isn't it interesting that God uses the stars to remind Jacob, Israel, us, if you want, uh, putting it forward, that, uh, look, guys, I know right where you are. Look, if I give names to all the stars, even ones you can't see, then I know right where you are, right? And uh, this uh, galaxy group we're going to talk about, though, was never hidden from the Lord, but it has been hidden from our eyes ever since the creation of the world. It was discovered in 1990. We didn't even know it was there until 1990 which is just fantastic you know but uh what does all this have to do what are we talking about wayne let's get into the meat and potatoes of this uh there's my scripture and we'll we'll talk about your scripture at the end of the show okay and um let's uh let's get in this thing uh you you have an article we're going to post um on your blog called the grin from space now i must let me let me correct you wayne now you know from michael ward who wrote a essay for our story of the cosmos that c.s lewis didn't like the word space i mean i've used it too i'm just kind of picking on you but space oh yes you know that whole argument about we shouldn't use space we should call it the heavens and uh anyway, sorry yes about
1: that. We, we could say the grin from the, in the, the heavens
2: the grin from the heavens right do the yeah. heavens smile down upon us yes they do <laughs> they do absolutely do that's so, right
1: it probably took it took scientists a while to put this together the way that it's been done okay you know so there is uh one aspect of it is that what looks like two eyes of the of a cat's face it's a lot it reminds us a lot of the uh, cheshire cat of course in alice of wonderland but so it, the two eyes are two galaxies and it, it looks like there's uh, another one right at where the nose would be so That's kind of a little galaxy, but you have a whole group of galaxies in a cluster. And the two galaxies that make the eyes are speeding toward each other. They're really uh, heading very fast toward a collision. And they're really in the process of collision. Um, And moving at about 1,350 kilometers per second which is uh, over 3 million miles per hour
2: Hmm. uh,
1: heading toward each other. So, Dan, you you might imagine kind of a – here's a ridiculous analogy of it. What if you have two people that are having a water balloon fight and uh, they both throw their water balloons at each other at the same time and the water balloons hit in midair? What's going to happen
2: Somebody's going to make a slow-mo YouTube video out of that. <laughs>
1: it's, it probably did. They probably have. But it, it's going to splatter so. the water everywhere, right? Right, right. So, but now with uh, galaxies in space, it's not just like a water balloon. But uh, <laughs> So when the galaxies head toward each other, there's lots of gas around those galaxies. And the gal- the gas sort of gets... Uh, 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 compressed, and then it sort of smushes out and puffs up. It gets hot and poofs out. Mm-hmm. And then it it gets so hot, the gases are like millions of degrees in temperature. So when when gases get that hot, they give off x-rays. So first thing was, I think, that this was found... Taken photo of by the Hubble Space Telescope, and that shows the streaks around it. So what you see is the the two eyes. You see a another galaxy that's the nose, and then what looks like a sort of circular arcs around what what makes up kind of like a, a cat's face. It's almost like a smiley face uh, with these streaks and. What are the streaks? The streaks come from gravitational lensing. So, what happens is if you imagine this cluster is a really big thing in space, it has a number of galaxies in it, and then somewhere way behind it, not close behind it, but way behind it, there's uh, at least four other galaxies that are. Right in our line of sight. So they would be hidden behind this big cluster. And we wouldn't be able to see them. But what what gravity does is the gravity of this big cluster is enough that it can bend the light from these far, far galaxies back behind. And it makes the galaxies, the, the far back galaxies, it makes them look like a streak instead of like a galaxy. It distorts them, sort of makes them look kind of mashed and spread out into a ring almost.
2: You a Typical analogy would be, uh, let's say you have a trampoline and you're looking down on the trampoline. And on top of the trampoline is a is a clear glass. Let's just say it's a, a giant marble or a, a clear bowling ball, a bowling ball that you can see through. And it's resting on top of the trampoline. It's a regular weight of a bowling ball. Now, what's that bowling ball going to do to the trampoline? It's going to distort that trampoline. Now, if there's stars or galaxies behind the trampoline fabric, that distortion of the trampoline itself will distort the light behind it to some degree. So the... The, the trampoline skin, if you will, is like space-time fabric. People have called it space-time fabric. Uh, it's, it's, an in, it's, it's sort of something upon which it seems an invisible kind of a fabric that space is made of and then big heavy objects sit on top of this. And as it sits on top of this uh, fabric, it warps any light that's behind it. And so the streaks around the Cheshire Cat are, as you said, warped Galaxy light coming from galaxies that are stretched and warped by the mass of these galaxies in the front. These hot X-ray galaxies in the front, right?
1: Right. So it's part of Einstein's theories, Albert Einstein, that uh, a large mass could bend light mm-hmm. uh, if if the geometry is right. If the angle, it's it has to be like it's like the light is passing very close to this object right and it gets bent and sort of distorted but uh, in this case there's multiple galaxies back behind Mm -hmm. and each of those galaxies makes a streak or maybe more than one streak sometimes gravitational lensing can actually create multiple images of the one object
2: right right now um, Wayne you we talked about this uh, you said um, that this image, this final image that you see when you Google Cheshire Cat Galaxy Group is, um, is, um, when well, I just lost my train of thought. It happens when we do these things. Um, it, it is, it's a composite photograph. So it wasn't like Yorata um, uh, and Natori, the astronomers who first found the two eyes in 1990, It wasn't like they got the whole face in the telescope the first time they found it. It's overlaid with different kinds of light, right? You told me it was um, regular light through Hubble, right? And then X-ray light from Chandra. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So there's two. I found an article that shows the two images that are combined to make this one image. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them is just the Hubble Space Telescope picture and you can see the cat face and the the streaks of the the lensing effect mhm um but it's without the color in the front of it so the color part they made it purple and it's it's not like it's real really purple light it's really x-rays mhm and we can't we can't see x-rays right right but so they made the x-rays look purple so it's uh, nice for the picture but Basically, they took the x-ray glow and put that on top of the face image. Mm. And that's what the two of those together combined make this nice um, purple Cheshire Cat-like picture. picture.
2: Yeah. But I think it's fascinating, too, because we're talking about um, two different kinds of light that are overlaid to make this image and we have the visible light and then we have the x-ray light and of course i'm i'm sure that you could probably take infrared and um, different kinds of wavelengths and get different imagery but but the the cheshire that is grinning at us from the deep recess of the cosmos is made up of two lights two different kinds of light in our photographs and i think that you know it's it, to some degree this reminds me of jesus in in the sense that on the visible side of light we can see Jesus the human being visible to our eyes. Well, he's 100% human and 100% divine. The divine nature of Jesus is not visible to the naked eye that he appears in bodily form, but the divine being that Jesus is is seen through the eyes of of it. the light that God is in in his divinity is is veiled from our eyes in in one sense. I mean, we can see God in human in the person of his son, that's sort of the analogy I'm trying to make, that we can see Jesus with our eyes. But to know that he is God requires x-ray light, if you want to go there. It requires a kind of lens, a kind of vision to, to see the double image of it. And it's not like part God, part man. He's fully God, fully man, uh, optical in one sense, but then God hiding in plain sight in another sense. So to me, to some to some degree, I, I was reminded of that as I was thinking of the two different kinds of light that uh, has made up this image. And I think that's, you know, the two different kinds of... Jesus, of course, God is light. John John eight twelve, Jesus is the light of the world. God says, let there be light. And, 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 and you know, at the end, there are no stars. There are no night. There's no the new heavens, uh, a new earth. And uh, Jesus is the light that illumines the whole new city and the new creation. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting that uh, there's that... Uh, interesting part of it you know of course there's different kinds of light but
1: uh. yeah there's a lot of uh, interesting comments that have been made uh, if you find different articles on the internet that that uh, talk about this picture it was back in November of 2015 that this uh, now well-known picture came out and it was the the combining of the two images like that was done by the Chandra X-ray Observatory people. And then NASA released it shortly after that. NASA released it to celebrate the 100th anniversary of Albert Einstein's general theory of relativity. (laughs)
2: Uh So it was
1: kind of of a celebration of Einstein, the way they did it. I think of it as kind of a, uh, the idea of a friendly universe um, <laughs> it, it's it's not that the universe is really smiling at us but and it's not that it's god's face you know this is not god's face it's uh it's something that human beings uh made it look like this in the image but it really is there it's not made up it's not created right. with with photoshop or some Photo editor program, right? It, it, it,
2: it, exactly. It's it's not an artist's rendition. When you see this, right. you'll think you'll think that some astronomer tweaked something and made uh, the original cosmic emoji. But no, this is this is how it appears in these two forms of light, as uh, as God created it. Um, and so there it is. Uh, yeah.
1: Now, Dan, you you have a telescope, right? But I, I doubt do. if your tel your telescope would see this. I don't think it would. No, because this is this is really pretty faint. Wayne, if and I had I, uh
2: if my telescope could see X rays, I would have no eyeballs. Um Well yeah, but even the Hubble one
1: yeah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but even the Hubble image, see the Hubble image is regular visible light. Right. But it's a very faint image and you have to have a pretty pretty good telescope to yeah. see this.
2: I've not tried it. I don't know what the uh, I think the uh the uh the brightness is way too low and it's it's so far away. Uh, it's so far away they're calling it a uh a fossil group wayne do we have what are the what's the uh, secular astronomy uh, age on this thing did you find that find i couldn't find out uh, I, I don't, I don't
1: think they know i don't think I found a number but i don't think they know but the fossil group uh I did read about that because that's interesting um this is technically not a fossil group, but they think it's going to become one
2: mm Mm.
1: The idea of a fossil group is you you start with a cluster of galaxies and um, it has to get to where maybe some of those galaxies combine in the center and you have one really bright galaxy in the center where some of those galaxies combine into a bigger one. So you have one kind of dominant galaxy that was surrounded by other galaxies and then the, the big one is much brighter than the others. Gotcha. And it kind of st- stays that way for a long time. But in the process of the galaxies spiraling together and combining like this, uh, gases get heated up and it has to have a lot of x-rays being given off. So mm-hmm. a fossil group has one dominant galaxy that's much brighter than the others around it. And then it gives off a lot of x-rays. But this one is not there yet because you have these two eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the The two eyes don't fit the definition of a fossil group mm. because they're both real bright. Now, one of those eyes, the one that's uh, when you're looking at the picture on your right hand or the left hand, the left hand eye of, of the cat, if you will, the left hand eye of the cat has a supermassive black hole in it, Dan. So that's another another interesting thing.
2: Here's a weird thing that uh, some other strange science, and I don't know if they've, this is uh, 10 years ago, I don't know if they've solved this since then, but in uh, January of 2011, there was a paper published, The Mysterious Cheshire Cat Galaxy System, The First Case of a Collision Between Fossil Groups. And it was written by Jimmy Irwin and Renato Dupke. And in the abstract, they talk about um, investigating a problem. So we talked about the X-ray light. And uh, you might think, you look in the eyes, that these are eyes that are emitting X-ray light. But they, they contest. In, they say that the X-ray emission does not appear to be centered on either bright galaxies but midway between them. Yes. And that's very strange because there's nothing in between them. Really. I mean you yeah,
1: have Yeah, you know, remember I, I told you I found an article that showed the uh the two images that were combined. So uh-huh. the 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 X ray one is basically the purple part and it's not it's not showing two clouds of X rays. It's yeah. showing one. And now the a black hole gives off some x-rays so, so some that's of it one. comes some of it comes from the black hole but most of it's coming from all this gas and material that's surrounding the whole thing it's it's so it's it's like this one cloud of all this gas and whatever it is that's giving off the x-rays so that so the the fact that there's one cloud of the purple of the x-rays that means that uh it's there really is a collision, in other words, you don't see two two clouds of x-rays you see one, which yeah. means it really is co- the, in the process of colliding
2: right right um so so there's b- maybe a black hole um a lot of hotness going on there uh, yeah a lot of <laughs> a lot of heat um and i haven't i i maybe some of our listeners might know. Uh, how old it is i we don't i didn't get a uh i'm sure there's a date on it but um it's funny because um you know they released this on the hundredth anniversary of of Albert einstein who was himself kind of quirky <laughs> yeah and that how fun how funny it is that a smiling uh a smiling galaxy group uh was uh, the hallmark of of einstein's theory he played the violin his his socks didn't match of course everybody knows about his hair and <laughs> uh, quite an eccentric uh, gentleman and his wife uh, when they were touring the hundred-inch Hooker telescope at Mount Wilson, where um, Edwin Hubble uh, discovered uh, the Andromeda and uh, and galaxies moving away from us and his revolutionary discovery that the galaxies and, and the universe was expanding. Uh, and Einstein and his wife, I think it was her name is Elsa, were touring this. And one of the gentlemen at the telescope said, uh, "Miss Einstein, this is where um, we are." Uh, Figuring out uh, the shape of the universe. And uh, she is uh, said to have quipped in a wonderful, polite German accent. Oh, my husband does that on the back of an old envelope.
1: <laughs> so, but you know, this, I would like to hear more about his wife. What was yeah, it like to be the I, wife of Albert Einstein?
2: And you know, what's even funnier to me that that when I was researching for the book, uh, and you can go online and find these. And I would love to have been a fly on the wall in their in their conversations. But Albert Einstein I, Albert Einstein and Charlie Chaplin knew each other and hung out. It's oh, like, really? What would that be like? It, isn't that kind of what we're talking about tonight? You're like, Albert <laughs> that Einstein, is so funny. Albert Einstein and Charlie Chaplin. It's like, my gosh, wow. what, what a combination. But that... That's a wonderful combination, isn't it? It's uh, it, uh, Oh that is. You know, like slapstick and genius. Young people today <laughs> have never
1: seen Charlie Chaplin. No,
2: no, but uh Chaplin. It was Chaplin. Chaplin, yeah. And uh but you can see the pictures and they're both they're both kind of smiling, you know. Uh and and I wonder <laughs> I wonder what they what they talked about, you know. Well that's uh,
1: like the picture. Of, you know, this it's the it, way it kind is of, Combines science and and human enjoyment and just imagination and uh, that's like this picture. It, it's there's scientific information and detail and mysteries about it, but there's also just the fun side of it. Yeah, and we can we can have we can do the science and we can have fun with it.
2: So the uh, the story goes, and a little, little bit of this that uh, Charlie Chaplin was the only Hollywood star that Einstein wanted to meet. So they finally, they finally met in uh, 1931 when he was touring about and uh, got to meet. Uh, and, and Chaplin has said, I have this quote here, I found this. Einstein said, um, w- What I most admire about your art is your universality. You don't say a word, yet the world understands you and this is Einstein, (laughs) Einstein to Chaplin, because Chaplin was a silent film comedian. It was all slapstick and action and everything, right? Yeah. So Einstein's saying, you don't say a word, yet the world understands you. And then Chaplin is believed to have said true, but your glory is even greater. The whole world admires you, even though they don't understand a word of what you say. (laughs) (laughs) And That's uh,
1: two, two ends of the spectrum of the, that everyone.
2: is true, but but that leads me, Wayne, to something I want to talk about briefly that does related to this from Alice in Wonderland that I did not know until maybe I knew it and forgot it, but I did not really uh, remember this anyway. I'll say it that way that the man who wrote Alice in Wonderland, um, we call him Lewis Carroll, but that was his pen name. His real name was Charles Dodgson, Charles Lutwig, Lutwidge Dodgson. And he was a math teacher, lived in Oxford. And huh. uh, he wrote this story for a young girl named Alice Liddell. So there's real Alice. And um, he, Alice was the um, daughter of the dean of, of Christ's Church, I think it's in Oxford, anyway, and and, and um, Dodgson, Charles Dodson, Lewis Carroll, I think is a math teacher, I'm not sure what his position was, was um, the dean of Christ's Church was Carroll's boss. And so Carroll's boss, his daughter, his name was Alice, and uh, Carroll was a math teacher. Charles Dodgson was a math teacher. That's what he did.
1: That's fascinating to me, Dan. I did not know that. Yeah,
2: and it just gets even more curiouser and curiouser here with uh, what we're talking about. Because I didn't know this, that, that Alice in Wonderland, though it was written for Alice, this Alice uh, uh, Liddell, um, that Charles was a, I, I don't know, you know, and I didn't look into whether or not he was a Christian. Um, I don't know what his faith was. I'd have to look that up. But in, throughout Alice in Wonderland, there are puns and jokes uh, stuff, and it was all about kind of, there were mathematical puns throughout Alice in Wonderland. One of the uh. one of the things that he was critiquing, it, people believe. I have this book called Annotated Alice, which has commentary alongside uh, the actual text of the story. And uh, he's critiquing a gentleman by the name. He's an Irish mathematician by the name of William Hamilton, uh, who came up with this mathematical concept called quaternions. Quaternions. Qu- yes quaternions this was created by an irish mathematician named william hamilton and it was just kind of a strange i don't know i didn't even look up all the super details about what a quaternion is uh or if i'm even pronouncing that right but but it was a, a strange kind of mathematics that uh as a math teacher as i understand this uh, charles lewis carroll didn't understand this and he was kind of making fun of this and there's a point in the book where uh, Alice is like oh you know uh, 14 4 times two used to be is eight and she was getting her sums wrong but it was kind of poking fun at this idea of what this strange new mathematics was you know we're, we're used to two plus two equals four but now new in, introduced this strange math and two plus two doesn't equal four anymore Wayne it's equals 16 or something like that so he's making he's he's poking fun at this idea of these conceptual these conceptual mathematical, things that uh, that uh, 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 Hamilton and others were writing about. But here's the thing I read at the beginning of our, of our show, the quote that is so often taken from the scene with the Cheshire Cat, where Alice says, as, as the cat is fading away, Alice says, well, I've often seen a cat without a grin, thought Alice, but a grin without a cat. It is the most curious thing I ever saw in all my life. Now, the notes, the commentators who wrote annotated alice which is uh um i think it was a martin gardner it's a great book it's a table coffee table book and it's got uh, it's like a bible commentary but it's uh, of course it's about uh giving you some social context of about um alice in wonderland so anyway the the note the footnote about the grin there um the gentleman who wrote this i keep losing the page The phrase, I'm going to quote him here, the phrase, grin without a cat, is not a bad description of pure mathematics. Although mathematical theorems often can be usefully applied to the structure of the external world, the theorems themselves are abstractions that belong in another realm. And then the commentator here uh, wrote this. He quotes Bertrand Russell, who was a philosopher and, and was a mathematician, I think, as well but bertie which is his nickname loved math and he quotes bertrand russell quote mathematics is remote from human passions and remote even from the pitiful facts of nature an ordered cosmos where pure thought can dwell as it's natural as in its natural home where one at least of our nobler impulses can escape from the dreary exile of the actual world and that came from Bertrand's Rus- Bertrand Russell's writings. Now, Bertrand was an atheist. And he believed in this idea of what is really actually more of a concept of a platonic realm. In Plato's thinking, there was this realm of ideals, right? So if you think of a dog, right? Uh, there, dogs had dogness. And, and in Plato's realm of ideals, there was this archetype of dog. Same with trees. Archetype of stars, archetype of everything had an archetype in the ideal realm. Okay, so mathematics. Uh, Roger Penrose, Stephen Hawking. There have been a lot of cosmologists who um, who play around with the math, but Roger Penrose, who's a, who just won the Nobel Prize a couple of years ago for black holes, his work on black holes, believes in this idea that Russell had that mathematics has this separate and distinct realm somewhere outside the cosmos somewhere in the cosmos that mathematics is this pure thing it just kind of exists it's a brute fact we have the math don't don't ask me where it came from it's just out there in its own independent world and we kind of discovered it tapped into it to describe the universe so this is potentially what I think you, we could look at in terms of the the Cheshire Cat grin of Lewis Carroll or Charles Dodson's Dodson, uh, uh, Dodson's idea of pure mathematics. I think maybe, and I don't know, that Dodson was a little bit suspicious of mathematics without a mind. You see, the the, the idea that that a grin without a cat mm-hmm. is like. Math without a mind. How can math just exist, right? We, we associate right. math with the mind. So the Cheshire Cat Grin. Or, But they, from
1: a mathematician's point of view, it might be more the idea that math exists without it being in the real material
2: world. That too. That too. A, a, that's another point. That's yes. more
1: likely what a mathematician would be
2: yeah like 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 the uh, math exists, but it's not physical like stuff yeah and, and that's what Bertrand Russell meant but but the problem for atheism and naturalism, Wayne is exactly this grin without a cat business. How do you have mathematics without mine right So f- for the atheist who wants to explain that okay, maybe we just want to brute fact the math, don't ask kid what that's all about um, and we just want to say it's there. Okay, but, but how curious it is that math is just kind of there for people that want to get rid of God as the mind from which mathematics come. Look For us, mathematics is example. I mean, this is an apologetic argument. Where do we get mathematics from in the cosmos if there is no God? And the answer seems to be, well, it's just there. And, and so you're right. I think that, that Dodg- Dodgson is, is dealing with this idea of, of mathematics being effectual but abstract, having no body, uh, no, no physical, yeah. no physical term to it, um, and so that's that's the weirdness of math—that it's a, a grin with you know—it's it's
1: real. It's something that is a real thing, but it's not a material thing.
0: Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, What is man that thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Good Heavens is recorded and produced by Watchman Fellowship Incorporated. For more information about our podcast and ministry, including having our staff speak at your church, visit watchman.org. That's watchman.org. For Watchman Fellowship, I'm Annie Smuts.